Roe is dead. Is Liberty now dead too? I'm your host, Zach, and this is Zach's Fact Shack. All right. As I predicted in my last episode, we got the Dobbs ruling on Friday. And today, that is what we're going to talk about. But before we go any further, I have to remind you that our show is now online at zacksfactcheck.com. I know you guys are sharing with your friends and family, and this is going to be the best place for you to send them. From zacksfactcheck.com, they'll be able to listen to the podcast directly on the site, or they can follow links to their favorite podcast player. To make it super easy, just tell them that new episodes come out every Tuesday and most Fridays. You know, I've really, really enjoyed doing this podcast, and to see the response from everyone, it, it, it's, it's overwhelming. It really is. The show has been picking up in popularity, which is super exciting, but it can do more. You guys are the reason this show exists, and without you guys listening faithfully, I would have stopped by now. I, I really would. So I wanted to thank you guys for keeping me going and putting out to keep, for keeping me going to put out fresh new content every week. It's easy for me to say, right? So, I've said what I needed to. So now, let's see if we can get going with the rest of this show. Roe is dead. I... For the first time in my life, Abortion is not the law of the land. My mind is blown. I have wanted this to happen for so long that it it it, it truly is amazing to see. Now I know that there's two sides to this debate and that this, many people are terrified right now and they are terrified for their friends, for their daughters, for their sisters, for their cousins. I want to walk through the decision. I'm going to walk through the background. I'm going to walk through some of the hysteria that the left is knowingly pushing on people to scare them. I want to clear that up. I want to explain what's actually happening. And I want to give everybody hope. So first off, let's start with the background. What we know is this, that the decision that came out on Friday is pretty much identical to the opinion that was leaked a little over a month ago. An egregious, an egregious action and I would say that since they have not found this would-be leaker yet, it likely was a, in my opinion, probably a liberal um, clerk, simply because it, it, it seems that there is becoming two laws in this country at the moment, those of the correct party identification and those of the incorrect party identification. That's not always the case. There are really people. There are good people that are honest in the justice system, but right now 
on the most high-profile cases, that seems to be what's happening. So I would say that you could probably assume that it was a liberal clerk who did release it. I, I don't think it was a justice. I think that they are too close as friends to really do that to 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 another to another justice. I think it was probably a new clerk that is so up. They just think that they're there to save the world, and they they have all of this this passion for what they think is right and they're dead wrong, just absolutely wrong. So the opinion was leaked and it set off a firestorm on Twitter, uh, in the news media, but not, not nowhere else. People were upset for sure. Some people were very concerned, but it did not bring the firestorm that the media had predicted or wanted to happen. Except in a few cases, there have been many fire bombings and vandalizations of women's pregnancy centers, of churches, and specifically Catholic churches, where the people on the left are attacking the the face, I guess, of the pro right, uh, the pro life movement. Um, it, it's not been pretty. These these people are genuinely. Uh, trying to kill the pe- kill people they, they it, that that seems to be their goal whenever you throw a firebomb at a place you don't really care whether the people are inside or not you're in my opinion you're trying to kill them so that's what took place but no none of the mass riots that you might have feared that didn't take place they absolutely did and try to intimidate the justices they absolutely did uh, attempt to kill one of the justices. They are still to this day um, actually calling for the assassination of the justices, of the firebombing of the Supreme Court. Um, they, the left is genuinely ready to murder over this case. That's where the left is. Now, I know there are people that agree with the left, but not with this. Uh, Fine, but I think you need to make your voice a little louder because the left is absolutely on the warpath and they are calling for murder. That's where we're at. So, the Dobbs case. Let's let's read the syllabus of the opinion that'll explain what actually took place and what was happening, what, what brought the case to the Supreme Court. Mississippi's Gestational Age Act provides that Except in a medical emergency or in the case of a severe fetal abnormality, a person shall not intentionally or knowingly perform or induce an abortion of unborn human of an unborn human if the probable gestational age of the unborn human being has been determined to be greater than 15 weeks. Respondents, Jackson Women's Health Organization, an abortion clinic, and uh, one of its uh, and one of its doctors challenged the act in federal district court, alleging that it violated the court's prote- pre- uh, precedents establishing a constitutional right to abortion, in particular Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey. The district court granted summary judgment in favor of respondents and permanently enjoined enforcement of the act, reasoning that Mississippi's 15-week restriction on abortion violates this court's cases forbidding states to ban abortion pre-viability. The Fifth Circuit affirmed before this court petitioners defend, uh, 
Let me try that again. Before this court, petitioners defend the act on the grounds that Roe and Casey were wrongly decided and that the act is constitutional because it satisfies, satisfies rational basis review. The court held the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe and Casey are overruled and the authority to regulate abortion is returned to the people and their elected representatives. Yeah. That's that's the great threat to our democracy, that this is going back to the people and their elected representatives. That's that's the great threat to democracy. I, I don't understand that. But here's the thing. What this does is it allows states to choose whether abortion is legal in their borders or not. So, states such as New York, Massachusetts, Vermont, California, Washington, Oregon, all of these states that you know to be classically liberal states, they will maintain abortion for pretty much anybody, and they will likely say that it is abortion up to and including birth. Now, I don't think anywhere on the books as of right now is it post-birth, but up to birth, you are allowed to abort your child in these states. But states such as Missouri, which I believe was the first state to fully ban all abortions outside of saving the, the life of the mother, Texas, Oklahoma, and many other states have already followed suit with their trigger laws, which will ban abortion, I believe in all cases, again, with all of the states, I believe it's still the same, all cases except the life of the mother. Because here's the thing, pro-lifers will tell you that that, that's, that they do not consider the removal of an ectopic pregnancy to be abortion. Because what is the, what is the purpose of abortion? Abortion is the intentional ending of a human life in utero, meaning that the act itself, that if you had not performed the act, the child would continue to have grown in the womb and moved on and been born and raised up and had a life of their own. Abortion is interfering with that process. But if the current state of the pregnancy is such that if the pregnancy remains, if the child remains, the life of the mother is threatened, meaning that if the pregnancy is not interfered with, the life of the child or the mother or both will be lost. That is not considered abortion to people who are in the pro-life movement. They are very specific in what they are talking about. They consider abortion to be the act of interfering with the normal developmental stages of a pregnancy to terminate a life. If the, normal developmental if the normal developmental stages of pregnancy were to continue and that in and of its own would either risk the life of the baby or the mother or both, then that would not be considered abortion because we understand that when there are two lives at stake, it, if you cannot save both, it is best to save one at least, Right? So this means that if continuing the pregnancy would threaten the life of the mother 
and there is no way to save the child, such as in an ectopic pregnancy, then you remove the pregnancy simply so that you can save the life of the mother. But at no point do you sit there and rejoice and declare, oh man, we killed a child and it was amazing because that's not the goal. The goal is to save the mother and the child wherever possible. So, this ruling says that the law goes back to the states. The states can enact what they want. If you do not like that, you have a couple of options. If you do not like your state's abortion laws, you can either vote new people in who will then change those laws, or you can move to another state that has the laws you prefer. That's what the United States was formed on. The United States is a federal system, meaning that the states have independence where they are able to make laws independent of each other and independent of most respects of the federal government. The federal government is not supposed to be a national government. It's supposed to be a federal government. It's supposed to be a government that works with the states to govern over the land, over the nation. The idea that the Supreme Court ever had the right to rule an edict, uh, these unelected uh, Supreme Court justices, the idea that they ever had the right to declare anything over the country is ridiculous. And that's what the opinion holds. The official Dobbs opinion believes that that is where the problem with this is. So, if Roe, which was decided based on the idea of substantive due process, all right, so let me explain this. So, the 14th Amendment says that you shall not, that no citizen shall be deprived of the, their rights, so life and liberty or property, without due process of law. Now, the writers of that amendment believed that the due process of law meant simply that you had, if you committed a crime, you had to go to court and go through the due process of law and either be adjudicated and be innocent or guilty. If you were innocent, you continued on, continued on with the rights as though nothing had happened. If you were guilty, then you lost whatever that right was. That's what the due process of law has always meant throughout all of at least U.S. history. But in the mid-20th century, the Supreme Court determined that there was something called substantive due process, which doesn't make any sense. But basically what it says is that if the Supreme Court rules that you have a right, then that is due process and you have that right. That is what it means. And I, I don't understand how they could think it means that, but that's what they think that it means. The, the, the substantive due process is the new form of process, due process that the Supreme Court has just created out of thin air in the mid-20th century. So this is what the case is hinged on. If substantive due process is a right or wrong belief, if it's, a, if it's a right or wrong process for the court to use, this judgment says that it is a wrong process, that it cannot be used. 
And in this particular case, since that's what Roe v. Wade and subsequently Planned Parenthood v. Casey, that that's what those were built off of. If they if the substantive due process is no longer used or usable, then those that those two cases must fall. That's what it says. So let's let's read the opinion which comes from Justice Alito. It is a mixed bag. It's a six-three full opinion, but it's also a just it's a five-four opinion, and then it's also a one versus everybody else opinion on the concurring side. So it's kind of confusing, but the uh, the opinion that holds for everyone is actually the 5-4 opinion, but it's a 6-3 opinion that the law would stand, if that makes sense. So the six justices considered to be conservative, including Roberts, voted to uphold the Mississippi law. Roberts declared that he would go no further than that. So it became a 5-4 decision to strike down Roe v. Wade. Then Thomas said that that didn't go far enough, and he wrote a concurring opinion of what else should fall because of this decision. So let's read Alito's opinion and go from there. Abortion presents a profound moral issue on which Americans hold sharply conflicting views. Some believe fervently that a human person comes into being at conception and that abortion ends an innocent life. Others feel just as strongly that any regulation of abortion invades a woman's right to control her own body and prevents women from achieving full equality. Still others in a third group think that abortion should be allowed under some but not all circumstances, and those within this group hold a variety of views about the particular restrictions that should be imposed. For the first 185 years after the adoption of the Constitution, each state was permitted to address this issue in accordance with the views of its citizens. Then, in 1973, this court decided Roe v. Wade. Even though the Constitution makes no mention of abortion, the court held that it confers a broad right to obtain one. It did not claim that American law or the common law had ever recognized such a right. And its survey of history ranged from the constitutionally irrelevant, for example, its discussion of abortion in in antiquity, to the plainly incorrect. Also an example, its assertion that abortion was probably never a crime under common law. After cataloging a wealth of other information having no bearing on the meaning of the Constitution, the opinion concluded with a numbered set of rules much like those that might be found in a statute enacted by a legislature. Under this scheme, each trimester of pregnancy was regulated differently, but the most critical line was drawn at roughly the end of the second trimester, which at the time corresponded to the point at which a fetus was thought to achieve, quote, viability. Although the court acknowledged that the states had a legitimate interest in protecting potential life, it found that this interest could not justify any restrictions on pre-viability abortions. The court did not explain the basis for this line, and even even abortion supporters have found it hard to defend Roe's reasoning. One prominent constitutional scholar wrote that he would vote for a statute very much like the one the court ended up drafting— if he were a legislator, but his assessment of Roe was memorable and brutal. Roe was not constitutional at all and gave almost no sense of an obligation to try to be. At the time of Roe, 30 states still prohibited abortion at all stages. 
In the years prior to that decision, about a third of the states had liberalized their laws, but Roe abruptly ended that political process. It imposed the same highly restrictive regime on the entire nation, and it effectively, uh, and it effectively struck down the abortion laws of every single state. Eventually, in Planned Parenthood v. Casey, the court revisited Roe, but the members of the court split three ways. Two justices expressed no desire to change Roe in any way. Four others wanted to overrule the decision in its entirety, and their opinion did not endorse Roe's reasoning, and it even hinted that one or more of its authors might have reservations about whether the Constitution protects a right to abortion. But the opinion concluded that stare decisis which calls for prior decisions to be followed in most instances required adherence to what it called Roe's central holding, that is, that a state may not constitutionally protect fetal life before viability, even if that holding was wrong. Anything less, the opinion claimed, would undermine respect for this court and the rule of law. Paradoxically, the judgment in Casey did a fair amount of overruling. Several important abortion decisions were overruled in toto, and Roe itself was overruled in part. Casey threw out Roe's trimester scheme and substituted a new rule of uncertain origin under which states were forbidden to adopt any regulation that imposed an undue burden on a woman's right to have an abortion. The decision provided no clear guidance about the differences between a due and undue burden. But the three justices who authored the controlling opinion called the contending sides a national controversy, called the contending sides of a national controversy to end their national division by treating the court's decision as the final settlement of the equation of the question of the constitutional right to abortion. As has become increasingly apparent in the intervening years, Casey did not achieve that goal. Before us now is one such state law. The state of Mississippi asks us to uphold the constitutionality of a law that generally prohibits an abortion after the 15th week of pregnancy, several weeks before the point at which a fetus is now regarded as viable outside the womb. In defending this law, the state's primary argument is that we should reconsider and overrule Roe and Casey and once again allow each state to regulate abortion as its citizens wish. On the other side, respondents of the Solicitor General ask us to reaffirm Roe and Casey, and they contend that Mississippi law cannot stand if we do so. Allowing Mississippi to prohibit abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy, they argue, would be no different than overruling Casey and Roe in Entirely. We hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion. No such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, including the one on which the defenders of Roe and Casey now chiefly rely, the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. That provision has been held to guarantee some rights that are not mentioned in the Constitution, but any such right must be deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition and implicit in the concept of ordered liberty. This is according to Washington v. Glucksburg. The right to abortion does not fall within this category. Indeed, when the 14th Amendment was adopted, three-quarters of the states had made abortion a crime at all stages of pregnancy. 
Rose defenders characterize the abortion right as similar to the rights recognized in past decisions involving matters such as intimate sexual relations, contraception, and marriage. But abortion is fundamentally different, as both Roe and Casey acknowledged, because it destroys what those decisions called fetal life and what the law now before us describes as unborn human being. Stare decisis, the doctrine on which Casey's controlling opinion was based, does not compel unending adherence to Roe's abuse of judicial authority. Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Its reasoning was exceptionally and its reasoning was exceptionally weak, and the decision was held da- and the decision has had damaging consequences. And far from bringing about a national settlement of the abortion issue, Roe and Casey have inflamed debate and deepened division. It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. The permissibility of abortion and the limitations upon it are to be resolved like most important questions in our democracy by citizens trying to persuade one another and then voting. That is what the Constitution and the rule of law demand. He goes on with more uh, in de- in detailed argument as to why Casey and Roe must fall, but I'll let you. I'll say this: that makes that is an incredibly clear and concise argument for why Roe and Casey were wrong. They were terrible decisions. They determined that they were going to legislate a right that did not exist in the Constitution or in any law that the United States has ever passed. It just wasn't there. It's not, it was not common to, in, to the states or to the counties or the cities. It was not common to the nation. It was thought up out of thin air by seven white men on a Supreme Court bench, and it was a horrible decision. That is what has been overturned finally. But here's the thing. Like I was saying earlier, Justice Thomas does not think, he does not agree with the opinion of the court entirely. He believes that they should have gone further. They should have said more than they did. And let let me read. Let me read what this says. Justice Thomas concurring. I join the opinion of the court because it correctly holds that there is no constitutional right to abortion. Respondents invoke one source for that right. The 14th Amendment's guarantee that no state shall deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without the due process of law. The court wall explains why. Under our substantive due process precedents, the purported right to abortion is not a form of liberty protected by the due process clause. Such a right is neither deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition nor implicit in the concept of ordered liberty. Again, this is from Washington versus Glucksburg. The idea that the framers in the 14th Amendment of the 14th Amendment understood the due process clause to protect a right to abortion is farcical. I write separately to emphasize a second, more fundamental reason why there is no abortion guarantee lurking in the Due Process Clause. Considerable historical evidence indicates that due process of law merely required executive and judicial actors to comply with legislative enactments and the common law when depriving someone of life, liberty, or property. 
Other sources, by contrast, suggest that the due process of law prohibited legislatures from authorizing the deprivation of a person's life, liberty, or property without providing him the customary procedures to which freemen were entitled by the law, old law of England. Either way, the due process clause at most guarantees process. It does not, as the court substantive due process cases suppose, forbid the government to infringe certain fundamental liberty interests at all, no matter what process is provided. As I have previously explained, substantive due process is an oxymoron that lacks any basis in the Constitution. Text and history provide, provide little support for modern substantive due process doctrine. The notion that a constitutional provision that guarantees only process before a person is deprived of life, liberty, or the property could or property could define the substance of those rights strains. Let me start that over. All right. The notion that a constitutional provision that guarantees only process before a person is deprived of life, liberty, or property could define the substance of those rights strains credulity for even the most casual user of words. The resolution of this case is is thus straightforward. Because the due process clause does not secure any substantive rights, it does not secure a right to abortion. The court today declines to disturb substantive due process jurisprudence generally or the doctrine's application in other specific contexts. Cases like Griswold v. Connecticut, where the right to mar- uh, mar- right of married persons to obtain contraceptives. Lawrence v. Texas, which is the right to engage in private consensual sexual acts. And Obergfell v. Hodges, which is the right to same-sex marriage. There, it, the court... To, let me stop here. There's a lot going on, and I have confused myself. The court today declines to disturb substantive due process generally or the doctrine's application in other specific cases, Griswold, Lawrence, and Obergfeld, because they say they are not the same issue. The court's abortion cases are unique, and no party has asked us to decide whether our entire 14th Amendment jurisprudence must be preserved or revised. Thus, I agree that nothing in the court's opinion should be understood to cast doubt on precedents that do not concern abortion. For that reason, in future cases, we should reconsider all of this court's substantive due process precedents, including Griswold, Lawrence, and and Obergfeld, because any substantive due process decision is demonstrably erroneous, and we have a duty to correct the error, error established in those precedents. Now, you'll have to forgive me. I blundered through a lot of that. And look, Justice Thomas is a lot smarter than me, and I am having to read through this, parse it, and say it correctly, and give it back to you guys faster than I would like to. So you'll have to forgive me uh, stumbling through that some. But the idea is simply this, that Thomas, what Thomas said is that this decision did not go far enough, that the court should have struck down our in future should struck down strike down at least three other cases. And that is Lawrence v. Texas, which is the supposed right to contraceptives. Or 
Griswold and let's see. No, Griswold. This is, I'm getting confused already, guys. I'm so sorry. So we have these three cases are the right to contraceptives, the right to homosexual acts in private, in your own room, and Obergfell, which is the right to gay marriage. These three, quote-unquote, rights are not in the Constitution anywhere at all. You cannot, you cannot put the Constitution up to light and wiggle it around and read between the lines and find it there. It's just not in the document. And there, Thomas is arguing that because of that, those should, be go, those should go back to the states or to the federal government to decide those. They should not be decided by the court because the court is not a legislature. The court should not be enacting law. That it's wrong and it has no right to do so. I completely agree. We should not be having law given to us by unelected justices on a bench. But here's the thing. I've had many people, if you look on Twitter and you try to find out what's going on there, you will see that there are people saying that, you say that we shouldn't have justices declaring what we can do, and yet that's what they did. It's like, no. All they did is that is say that the federal government and has no ability to declare the right of abortion across the country. They have no right to say this because it's not there. It's not in the Constitution. They have not been given that right. So because of the Tenth Amendment, they have to give it back to the states. The Tenth Amendment simply says that any power not expressly given to the federal government or expressly prohibited by it to the states is reserved for the people and the states, respectively. That's it. They're simply saying that the federal government does not have the power, according to the Constitution, to declare this, so it goes back to the states. The states have to decide it. This is their proper place to decide it. That's it. That's all it's saying. And I agree. I think that that's, that's the best way to go. It's the, what they should have done uh, in 1973. It should not have been a de- declarative statement by the Supreme Court at all. I think that any declarative statement by the Supreme Court is wrong, period. They, I, I, I would personally love to have seen the Supreme Court completely outlaw abortion just altogether, just federally outlaw it. But it would have been a wrong case. It would have been a wrong decision because, again, they do not have the right to do that. Now, I think that they have the right and duty to protect life. So under that, I think they would have had the ability. But since the the government has not declared what the definition of life is, it would have been a little tricky. But I think they could have done it. I think they could have said that, you know what? Science says, and it does, that life begins at conception. Therefore, life must be protected. And since they, these, the, the children have to have the protection of due process, they cannot be aborted. That I believe that that would be a perfectly reasonable thing. But I think this is better because I do not think that this country has had the ability to walk through and think about what abortion actually is. You know, the United States has some of the most liberal and loose abortion laws in the world. Europe doesn't even have laws as loose as ours. And it's because in Europe, they didn't have a federal edict 
put down upon them. They had to go through elections, through debates, through compromise, through decisions. And they came up with laws that I would not agree with, but were far, far better than the law that we had to deal with that was just an edict by the Supreme Court. That's what I, that's what I have admired about Europe is that they were able to do that. I think that now we have that chance to do that as well. We have the chance to convince our neighbor, to convince our friend why we think this law should be written this way, why we think that life should be protected at the point of conception. It's simple as this. If you draw a line of where life begins anywhere besides the point of conception, it falls apart the moment you draw that line outside of the womb. So let me ask, let me, let me explain what I mean. So if you draw the line of, con- of conception, that is where life begins, that it's a point of unique DNA, then that, let's get out of this, let's come out of the womb into real life. Each person is unique DNA, right? They're, they're a unique person, they're a unique life, they're a unique personality, they're a unique person, right? This is life. They have the right to life. They have the right to property. They have the right to self-defense. All of these rights are conferred on them because they exist. That's it. But let's go and let's say, what about at a heartbeat? Well, we know that prior to the heartbeat, the blood of the child is still moving. It's just being moved by the mother. So assistive blood flow is the point is not you have to have unassisted blood flow the child's heart is beating well what about those people who have a pacemaker that is assistive blood pumping do are they no longer a person well of course not well this is this is ludicrous this makes no sense then this this rule cannot be the rule we use well what about breathing breathing is uh, is what is what makes the child be a, be alive okay well, the child is breathing throughout the pregnancy. They're just simply breathing through the air of the mother. So again, assisted breathing. So you have to have unassisted breathing to be considered a person. Well, then I'm in trouble because I use a CPAP machine every night to sleep. That's assistive breathing, which means I am no longer a person under your definition of life or someone who is on a ventilator. I mean, we just went through COVID and we had so many people that were put on ventilators. Were all of, did all of those people lose their right to life? No, no one would argue that. So here's the thing. If no one is arguing that, this, it's because it makes no sense. Again, it falls apart. So breathing can't be the definition of life and where it begins. Well, some people might say sentience or awareness of yourself. Okay, well, Let's say that out of the womb. Again, most children, you know, most babies as they're, when they're born wouldn't even be aware of themselves. So are you saying that we can kill, kill infants outside of the womb? Most people would say no. That'd be awful and terrible and would be murder. So then, well, let's go to somebody that's asleep. Well, most people would consider somebody who's asleep sentient because if they hear a noise, they would wake up, right? They would be alert. They would be like, oh, what is that? I must protect myself, right? So you're still considered sentient. But someone who is in a coma is not considered sentient. Would I have the right to go and then stab them? No. 
because they still have the right to life, right? They, they do not lose that when they're in a coma because they're still a person. So they don't lose their person. They don't lose their life. So the definition of life can't be with sentience. That makes no sense. And even if it was, it'd be potential sentience. Oh, well, they might, they might wake up in you know, a week or two. Okay, well, guess what? I will tell you this, that there is an infant in a womb, and that in exactly nine months, they will be sentient. Okay, it's potential sentience. You can't kill that either. So it doesn't, again, if you draw the line outside of conception, when you take it out of the womb, it makes no sense. Well, what about, well, it's just because they're born. They're outside of the womb. Okay, so location determines life now, determines personhood, gives you your rights. Well, if location is what gives you your rights to be a person, I think we have a problem because what if someone determined that the slums and anyone who lived in there were no longer people and did not have the right to self-defense or the right to eat, the right to work, the right to provide there for their family, or the right to defend themselves and did not have the right to life and could be exterminated to rid the world of a blight? That would be the argument. Okay. Well, one, that's reprehensible, so no one should be arguing for that. But that's the point of location. If location is what confers life upon you, then we have some problems because then we can declare what location gives you life. This sounds very much like the Europeans of, what, the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th century? who said that if you were born in Africa, you were not a person. That was the argument. You were not, you were not an actual human. You were subhuman, and you needed to be enslaved. Well, that is evil. So again, making your argument that you have a right to kill a child because they are not located outside of the womb is wrong. Well, the left, or most people would say, well, it's, it's bodily autonomy. You have the right to your own body. Well, first off, we just went through a whole endeavor with, with COVID where people rely, were reliably telling me that I did not have the right to do, make medical decisions for my body, that I had to get a vaccine, that I had to wear a mask, so that doesn't, that doesn't work out. But here's the thing. I still think that you, it is your body, your choice. I do. I completely believe that. And here's why I am not cognitively dissonant. I believe these two things work together. Here's what it is. Here's what it is. You have the right to do with your body as you choose. But the moment that your choice interferes with someone else's choice, it stops. So let's look at this rationally. You have the right to choose to have unprotected sex. You have the right to choose to have sex at all. What you do not have the right to choose is to avoid the consequence of your choice. The consequence of sex, the purpose of sex, is to create offspring. 
And to try to say, well, I didn't want that. Well, but you knew it was an actual, actual consequence of this action. In fact, some might argue that it's the entire purpose of this action. You knew the consequence. Therefore, you accepted the consequence when you chose the action. What you do not get to do now is choose to end a life that is located within the confines of your body, but is not your body. It is completely different, unique DNA. It has nothing to do with your body. But you have chosen what you wanted to do, and this is the consequence of that choice. That's it. That's all we're saying. So, abortion is wrong. It's a taking of a life because life must be designed at the point of conception when a completely unique piece of DNA creates it, it's created in the womb right then and there. That is the point of life. Now, I want to look at some of the responses from both sides on the topic after the court case was released, after the opinion was released. Uh, a statement from uh, Dr. Tony Evans I, I, found, I found was interesting. He is a, a relatively conservative uh, pastor on the radio, uh, has many, many, many books. Uh, he, he's just all over the place. This is an open letter that he wrote to believers, and I, I wanted to read some excerpts from it. He says, I join with the countless voices heard today, as well as those yet to be heard someday, those who will now have the opportunity to see, to do so through the gift of life in giving God the glory for his sovereign hand in, his, in this historical decision by our Supreme Court. Christians everywhere ought to humbly celebrate this decision to overturn the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision. In, in addition to the saving of countless lives of our collective humanity, this decision also positions us more fully to intercede on behalf of God's mercy on our nation in order to reverse the crime epidemic. This is so because Scripture states that when innocent blood is shed, we can expect more innocent blood in the society to be shed. Thus, a de decrease in the number of abortions can lead to a decrease in violent crime. While celebrating and giving God praise for his movement in this momentous space and time, we must also not lose sight of the fact that the Imago Dei equally applies to protecting the dignity of people once they are born. Therefore, anything that demeans the value of people's lives must be addressed with the same fervor and passion that has been given to preserving the life of the unborn. May we never forget to show compassion to those who've experienced abortion, as well as kindness to those who believe differently than we do on this issue or any other issue. Lastly, men, my statement to you remains as it has always been. You are to live responsible lives in your actions and decisions. Men should be held personally and financially accountable for the children they help to produce, whether planned or unplanned. But most importantly, women should never have to bear the challenge of an unplanned pregnancy on their own. We as the body of Christ should come alongside those in need through spiritual and tangible support. I thought that that, that wrapped up a lot of how I feel about this decision, that yeah, we should absolutely be 
dancing for joy on this decision. And we should be, we should be celebrating because of the millions of lives that will no longer be murdered every year. That's what we should be celebrating. But he goes a little further and gets into some political stuff that I did not read in this case. I do not think that it matters to the, to the message of what he is saying, because what I did read is absolutely true. He goes a little further, and I didn't want to bring that into it, but he's right. We need to attack things that demean the value of people, period. We need to attack that with the same fervor that we have been given, that we have been using to preserve life of the, of the unborn. We absolutely should be fighting for that. We should be fighting for justice, for righteousness, for the, for the proper protection of people both in and out of the womb. Here's the thing. I've seen a lot of people online saying, well, churches, you better start uh, adopting. You better start uh, helping these women. Here's the thing. Churches have been helping. They have been adopting. Also, I want, I want to clarify. So everybody's mad and saying, all these kids are going to end up in foster care. It's like, here's the thing. A child who is born and go, is, goes directly into the newborn infant adoption system, they're almost immediately adopted. And the, the woman does not have to pay for any of the medical uh, bills during that point. It is paid for, it is covered, the child is born and goes immediately to a new family. They do not go to foster care at all. Foster care and the entire system is designed for people who want to have their children but have other things going on. Maybe it's there is abuse, maybe there's alcohol, maybe there's drugs, whatever it is. They, the, the, the goal of foster, the foster system is to reunify the family. That doesn't always get to happen, but that's the goal of foster care. So I don't want people saying that these people are going to foster care because they're not. They're going to be almost assuredly adopted almost immediately. But there are people who are thinking about adopting. They should. They should adopt. I think that we do need to fix some of our adoption laws. I think that it is entirely too hard to try to adopt people in our country. I think it needs to become easier, not that it become, needs to become less safe because I do not want people unfit to be parents because they would abuse the child to be adopting children. I think that that would be a bad idea. But I do think we need to make it a lot simpler. It shouldn't be costing thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars to adopt a child. That's way too much. It, 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 this should be a simpler process. I do not know the details. I do not know the ins and outs. I cannot speak to it. That's not, that's not where my expertise are. And I, I bow to someone else who has better understanding than I do on the matter. But I would like to see it done better than it is now. Now, I also want to see, I want to respond to the other side of the coin and what the other side is saying about this decision specifically from Dick's Sporting Goods. They, are going, they have announced that they will pay up to $4,000 to any of their employees who need travel expenses reimbursed to go to the nearest location in another state to get an abortion. $4,000 in travel expenses will be covered by Dick's Sporting Goods to murder your child. They are not also giving $4,000 to new mothers 
to help them with their new child. They're not doing that. They're not paying for maternity leave either. So here's the, this is this is what I think you need to understand. You need to realize that these companies that are announcing they're going to pay for your abortion, but not for you to, ha- to uh, help you have your kid, that they don't want you to have a child. That's the thing. See, if you do have a child, can you still work? Absolutely. Does it complicate things? Absolutely. But that business would much rather not have to pay for your insurance and your kids. Right? They don't want to pay for that too. That's more money. They want to make a profit. That's their goal. That's their business. So they have calculated that it is cheaper for them to pay you $4,000 to murder your child than it is for to pay, to pay you and help you to raise that child. They don't want to do that. They just want you to, ki- to kill your kid. That's what they want to do. That's the other side of the coin. That It's purely business. It's purely money in this case. That's all they care. They do not care about you. They don't care that you're scared. They don't care that you're worried. They don't care if it's unplanned or not. They just want you to not have a kid. And so they're willing to pay you $4,000 in travel expenses to not have a kid. That's what they want to do. I think that's sick. I think it's wrong. I think they should not be doing that, but it's their business. They're perfectly capable of doing it. And I'm perfectly capable of not shopping there. I just won't. And that's totally my choice. That's I, I am fine with that as well. Now, I also have seen a clip that it sickened me when I heard it. I do not know quite what to make of it. I'm not sure what happened. I don't know if it's a misspeak or if it's just an absolute stupid idiot. Honestly, it could be both. I don't know. But this was sent to me by a friend. and I, I, I want to play the insanity that this is for you because it's... It's just, it, just listen. President Trump, on behalf of all the MAGA patriots in America, I want to thank you for the historic victory for white life in the Supreme Court yesterday. Yeah, so the audio clearly says white life. Now, you can hear the hesitation and the stumble in her words I don't know if she was trying to find what she was reading um, and was trying to clear it, was trying to say it and she misread or she saw a word that was near it. I know for me, if I'm looking at something and reading it, I can absolutely insert a different word for no reason that has no connotations to the matter that we're talking about at all. It just, it makes no sense. Um, I, I don't know if that's what happened there. What I do know is that it is, the statement itself is entirely disgusting and has no place in, in, in proper society. It should not have been said. I think it should have been immediately clarified. And the people who were clapping, the, the friend who sent it to me is like, how could they be clapping for it? I think there's a couple of reasons you can say it. Either they didn't actually hear that part because this was at a MAGA rally. There is a lot of noise. There's a lot of wind. And you can miss different parts of the words, right? And she clear, they're standing there not clapping. And she clearly is encouraging them to clap. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. They, maybe they didn't hear exactly what was said, but the other option is that they're so shocked at what she said that just, they're just like, surely that's not what I heard. Surely you did not. What? Like it, it made no sense at all. I don't understand 
why she said it. And again, I hope she clarifies. I ha- I have not seen a clarification. Uh, I don't know that if I will or not. Uh, if I do, or if she does clarify, I would ask that you would send that to me as soon as you could. Again, I'm on Twitter at Zach's Fact Check on Twitter. It's very easy to find me. Um, this was at a MAGA rally. The only thing I know about this person is that it says that it was it's Miller. I don't know her name or who she is. Uh, she was just there speaking in front of President Trump at a MAGA rally. Um, again, I, I the statement of saving white life. It doesn't matter what color the life is. You should be saving life. And what she how what she ended up saying was wrong. I think she needs to clarify and explain what she meant because it's just sick. Um, the, the the last one I want to get to before before I let you guys go is this. It, it's a photo of a woman outside the Supreme Court protesting. She has her two children there beside her and what might be her husband. So it's actually a third child. Um, I, I don't know if that's the case or not, but it looks like she has two kids uh, and a husband, uh, three kids and a husband and a dog all right here. They're very, very close together. So I would assume that they are a family unit, but she has a sign that simply says, don't force this on anyone. These poor kids have to look at their mom and see a sign that says, in all actuality, that she doesn't want them. Now, I know somebody's going to say, that's not what she meant. She says, I, I wasn't forced and I love these kids. You shouldn't, but you shouldn't force this on anybody. No one's forcing anything on anyone. You make a choice to, take, to have an action, to, to have the, the momentary pleasure. There's a consequence in that, that you might have to live with, and that's a child. We're not forcing anything. You can choose to not have sex all day long. Abstinence, contraceptives, adoption, and motherhood. Those are the four choices. I, I am incredibly pro-choice. I see four choices. I want you to use any of those four. That's what I want you to do. But to see this sign in front of these kids that says, don't force this. Don't force these kids. Don't force this family. Don't force this life on anyone else. I don't see how you can assume that's any, any, anything else besides I don't like this. I wish I don't, didn't have these kids. It's depressing. It's sad. It's awful. It's terrible. And I, I really hope that she understands what that sign really means. And I hope those kids realize that they are worth, they are worth it. They're worth so much more. They are loved. They are adored. I hope that their mom realizes what she has said to them and she's able to uh, respond and, and fix that and to remind them that she does love them. I hope that happens. I don't know, but I hope so. Well, guys, that was a long episode. In fact, it's my record. I don't think I've ever gone this long in an episode. Um, and so 
I don't know if I will or not again, but it was definitely fun. I enjoyed it. I had a great amount of time, a uh, great time doing it. But that is going to end today. I will hopefully see you again on Friday. We will see. Uh, we are currently doing a, a big project at my work and changing a lot of things, which is taking a lot of my energy and effort. And so doing this is a little bit on the side at this point. So I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but I will tell you this. I will be back as quickly as I can because I love getting to talk with you guys. Keep those comments coming. Keep giving me information. Keep giving me uh, inspiration. Keep giving me comments and concerns. I love it. I want to hear it. But until next time, this is Zach and this is Zach's Fact Shack. We'll see you next time. <laughs>